Fighters, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. So pissed at us. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we cover everything racing from this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, let me introduce you to the panel tonight. I have with me Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, IndyCar.com writer Joey Barnes. I have Seth Eggert, NASCAR correspondent from Motorsports Tribune in the house. I also have Christopher DeHarty. Uh, from Motorsports Tribune, also uh, from IndyCar. And last but not least, my good friend Richard Uden, who's coming back from a weekend at Monaco, spending it on his yacht, watching the race, barely made the show tonight. <laughs> How is everybody tonight? Doing terrific. Thank you. Doing good. All right. So, um, big weekend of racing. Chris, uh, Joey, and I were all uh, in Indianapolis all weekend long. Well, Joey and Chris, you were there. You've been there a bit longer, but uh, we were there all weekend. Um, Gray, I know you were at the uh, the All Star Race. Seth, you were at the six hundred. Richard, again, I, I said you were in Monaco. Uh, and yep. you know, whether that's true or not, it's up to the listeners. But uh, hey, so so prove the, it. Prove that I wasn't. Prove that you weren't exactly. So. Um, Yep. But anyway, the big, the big winners on the weekend, um, starting in the morning, Daniel Ricardo uh, winning in Monaco in the afternoon. It was Will Power with Team Penske winning the Indianapolis 500. And late into the twilight hours, Kyle Busch wins at Charlotte, checking off Charlotte as the last track on the schedule where he has uh, not won a points-paying race. So now Kyle Busch has won a points-paying race at every track on the schedule, a feat that is not been accomplished before so good on kyle but uh but let's talk about uh, will power in the indianapolis 500 now uh richard you and i were having a discussion just recently uh that is some to the effect that if will power's career kind of wraps up uh, and he's left with a lone championship and a pile of wins will he be seen as underachieving you know based on the amount of talent that he has now um you know check it off the box indy 500 win uh, puts a totally different spin on, on the racing record. You know, I, I know it's only one race. I don't care who you are, but uh, honestly, if if you look at a guy like uh, Michael Andretti with a lone championship and a pile of wins, right? Had he won those two Indy 500s that he came so close to winning, he'd be ranked much higher. He'd be he'd be up there talked about with the, the Foyts and the Unsers and the and and his pops. You know, and so this puts. Um, will into some some good territory as far as his legacy is concerned going forward. Um, 
But uh, you got to hand it to the man. Now, I will pat myself on the back. So I predicted Will Powers win, and I've called the winner of the 500 two years in a row, which puts a lot of pressure on me for next year. But, um, you know, a Penske win should not have been um, surprising. You know, they, they were strong. The Chevrolets were strong. Um, the Carpenter's car was strong all day. He just didn't have anything for Will at the end. I think Carpenter was a little timid on the restarts uh, when he didn't need to be but uh, will put put it together um lap after lap all day long um took the checkers um showed a lot of emotion in victory lane that we're not used to seeing out of will um they quieted a lot of his detractors there are a lot of the keyboard warriors that just you know they like to call him willie wanker or the never let him forget flipping the bird to race control back in new hampshire back then or or <laughs> you know uh a lot of them were just couldn't say a whole lot more than you know job well done will which uh Honest to God, it was a job well done. Now, Joey, Chris, um, some of your thoughts on Will Power. Um, he also, by the way, jumps into the points lead, a few points ahead of Alexander Rossi, uh, with a ton of momentum uh, based on having won two in a row. We, going into Detroit, where he's won twice, um, you know, could could uh, Will ride this momentum all the way to another championship? So, uh, thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I think so, for sure. It's been a while. We've never had somebody sweep the entire month of May, and Will managed to do that. And I don't know why he, he wouldn't be able to potentially turn this into a championship for sure. Uh, I think that it's interesting that y'all you brought up the the Michael Andretti comparison because it's actually what I was thinking along the lines of as well. But some people are also ridiculing Will for a long time because he was always like that the guy that couldn't quite get the championship and then finally he broke through but he's always more so remembered for how he's lost it more than how he's won it right even before the 500 win and i look at somebody like will power as kind of a throwback to the ways that we look at alan sir senior uh, the aj foyts you know the johnny rutherford's way back in the day the throwbacks because you're talking about elite talent back in the day that it was a revolving door of who won races and who won championships and somebody had to lose and I look at this, and I'm wondering how we're going to remember this generation of IndyCar drivers 20, 30, 50 years from now. Because whenever you go and you talk to all these guys like Scott Dixon, whenever you go and talk to, to guys like Mario Andretti, who drove in those generations back in the day, the consensus is, is that this is the toughest that the sport's ever been as far as talent from top to bottom. And so it makes you think that when... A guy like Will Power can go in there and do things like this. I mean, certainly he's got to be considered one of the elites when all said and done. But, um, yeah, I, I think that when you're looking at the championship, uh, can he go after number two? Absolutely. And this is going to be a good launching pad for it. But I think also he's somebody that has started to become a more complete driver. I mean, he went through 50-plus starts before he won um, you know, several races on it all. I think there was a stat on ABC actually that in like the first 56 starts uh, on ovals, he had only had three wins, and his last three starts on ovals, now he's got three wins, or, or last six starts on ovals, he's got three wins. So, right, he's and, and, Will, and, to, and early in his uh, IndyCar days, he admitted he hated the ovals, didn't understand them, but but he forced himself to work harder to learn them. You know, which is you know, which is what you do. You don't you know do a pull an Ed, Ed Carpenter on a road course and say, well, I just can't do these, so just, you know, just keep me to the to the circle tracks. No, Will worked and worked and worked at it, you know, worked with his engineers, and and he's he's one of the best on ovals right now, if you look at the yeah. past couple of years. 
Yeah, I think ten of ten of his twenty nine wins are now on ovals. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the, the trick here though is, is you know, from race to race, week to week, you really even still don't know which willpower you're getting, right? Like sometimes he's just the guy that when he shows up. You know flat out he's got to be. It's almost the way you fear him is the same way that many guys fear Scott Dixon, right? Right. And there's just that respect level because you know what they're capable of. And you don't look at a lot of guys in IndyCar paddock and go, damn, that guy's elite. Uh, We're afraid of him each and every week. You know, Simon Paz, you know, can get on good runs. Joseph Newgarden proved that he could go on a tear last year. But there's something about the way that Will Power and Scott Dixon in particular are able to just show up from the time they unload and just go. And we haven't seen that matched to that level yet. Pagano came close at Sonoma. Um, but, it, you know, kind of now that we're going to turn our way towards a championship, I think it's really about how Will Power can manage the summer because I think that he's fine in August. But I think that Detroit's going to be tricky. How is he coming off this high? Because Takuma Sato last year, I know that, we look at Takuma and Will differently, but nonetheless, an Indy 500 winner, usually there's a hangover effect that comes with that in Detroit, and unfortunately, Detroit's back-to-back races, so he's going to have to kind of spell that a little bit. Uh, Takuma, and, won, Takuma won the pole in Detroit, but then didn't yeah. didn't capitalize on it during the race, I believe. I think yeah, he had a little off-track. Oh, do you yeah. think, uh, in all fairness, do you think Roger Penske will allow him to have a hangover? No, I, I'm getting ready to say, <laughs> I think that the one thing that Power's got that that Sato didn't have as he drives he drives for Penske. Hey, that's all. I think I think the strength of that the overall strength of that team will will help will prevail. That you know that sounds that sounds all great but I mean that sounds all well and good but you're looking at a driver who after the 500's over he's not getting more than 2 hours of sleep before he does all these talk shows and he's in Dallas today doing an event with the Dallas Cowboys. He's not going to get to touch the track until Friday. He's not going to be able to kind of have any bit of normalcy until Friday. And, you know, by then, think about the lack of sleep and all the media obligations. I mean, it drags anybody through the ringer. Um, but I, when I look at this championship, the guy that helped himself more than anybody and the guy that hurt himself more than anybody, Rossi helped himself, bar none. Um, the moves he made, it was like watching Phoenix all over again. People are like, oh, Paxton's going to be tough. Well, Rossi made it look easy. Big surprise. And But I think the guy that hurt himself a little bit was Simon Pagino. I know he got sixth place. I know it's double points. But he really needed a top three finish to kind of bury himself out of the championship standings right now. And ironically, coming into the 500, Will Powers kind of become the forgotten man. Coming out of the 500, Simon Pagino's now become that forgotten man. Yeah, yeah, Simon's pretty far down the order, but let's talk about Rossi, and I also want to talk about the just the general quality of racing. I mean, we've, you know, we've, the new car the first time at Indy, you know, we, we've seen several test sessions. It, it kind of, the racing was kind of about what I expected, that the cars would kind of string out. I knew we weren't going to see that side-by-side slip slipstream, you know, pass after pass, uh, the, the three wide in the corner, uh, although... Uh, you know, some describe the racing as boring. Um, you know, I don't know what what the television caught, uh, but I know there were battles all through the field. And if, uh, and again, you know, every, every time they say you can't pass except Rossi, 
I, I don't know what they if they should call this this car the um, you know the Alexander Rossi 18, the only one that can pass with it. So, but um, what were your impressions of the overall the overall quality of racing? How the race car handled? We saw, um, so you know, the car get away from a few folks, a few notable folks. Um, we also saw uh, Sato run right into the back of um, Davison. And both stars, both cars, firmly stay on the ground, which was uh, which was good to see. So, uh, uh, Chris, Joey, either one, whoever wants to jump in, let's talk about the quality of racing and and why is Mr. Rossi so good at passing? I mean, I think that as far as the quality of racing, I enjoyed it. I know it was kind of we got spoiled with the with the manufacturer Arrowhead era, in my opinion, and I think yes, this we did. Is kind of, and I, I think that. I like the fact that we got to kind of get away from that a little bit. I think we're going to do some tweaking with this package, and I thought we tried too hard maybe to get this package to resemble that one. Totally different aero parts, totally different looking car. You're going to get a totally different racing product no matter what you try to do. And I appreciate the effort, and and for my money, I enjoyed the show. We still ended up with 550 passes, I think, was the final number, uh, or maybe that was three-quarters of the way in I saw that number. And we still had a pretty high amount of lead changes, a pretty high amount of, of, of leaders in particular. And I like the fact that this car is a handful, right? Like Danica Patrick, Elio Keshenevis, uh, Tony Kanon. I think in total there were six. Sebastian, Sebastian Bourdais. Sebastian Bourdais. And Ed, his was Ed Jones, yeah. Uh, but you're looking at quality talent that lost the back end of this car off the corner. And, you know, it's predictable car from what everybody says but the fact that it's a little twitchy and and things like that you're going to get that when you have something that's about the thickness of a hockey stick for a rear wing and you know i I appreciated the fact that it was challenging some guys if this rewards the team not the driver and just the driver this rewards the team for the amount of stuff they're able to pull together to make this as complimentary for the driver this isn't the unpredictable manufacturer arrow kit where you just have to bury it in there and hope hope the best hang on to it like what we heard about. This is who gets the right everything, the mechanical grip, the damper settings, the, the driver has to be on it. So the entire package has to come together to ensure that the best team and driver are able to do something. And so I, I applaud what kind of racing we saw. Uh, the, the Sato incident, i got to put that more on Davidson than anybody else because I don't know if I've ever seen a car – that slow for that long, and I, I don't know why you don't bring it in. You're you're 20 miles an hour slower. Than I, was, I was waiting. Else. I was waiting for the back flag like they did with the Lotus cars a few years ago. Yeah, but um, yeah, but again, but my my point wasn't that 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 the accident was Sato's fault. My point was that the car didn't the car stayed on the ground. It didn't launch like we saw. You know, we saw last year with Scott Dixon, and then a, a two yeah. year two years ago during a qualifying with uh, you know Carpenter and and. Elio and Hinch where the cars were getting airborne. They, though you know that that Sato uh, Davidson wreck had the potential to send the car airborne, and it did not. Uh, and as far as your Rossi uh, question, a you're looking at a guy who's I, I've said for a long time, following his his GP two days and and even before then that this guy's got ultra talent. It just has to be the right situation, and nobody in F one wanted to get him that right situation. Um, and that was unfortunate for a lot of us Americans that would love to see a good driver in F1. And, uh, you know, Michael Andretti did the smart call and put him in a car along with Brian Herta. And 
you look at this situation, A, he's making those passes because of how ridiculously talented the guy is. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. That's right. But at the same token, you're looking at a guy who also hasn't bit the wall quite like other guys have bit it yet. And it just takes one. We all know that. Making those brave outside move passes he did in turn one, um, Sato-esque type moves, you know, he hasn't quite run into a situation where he's bit it the same way. So you let a situation come into play where he's making an outside move on somebody and they get a wiggle and it goes into him. He's going to question who he passes a certain way next time. And I think that that obviously plays into the factor of the luck bank, so to speak. But, you know, all in all, this guy's a championship contender. And um, if guys like Newgarden and Pagano and Dixon, they all know it, and they better get a hold of their own season before this guy starts to really catch fire because you can see that he's been pounding the wall for a while, and it's only a matter of time before he breaks through and he starts knocking wins out and podiums out in bunches. Yeah, you know, Rossi, in a way, um, the, the aggressive style, uh, it reminds me of Zanardi the first two years he was in the series. You know, 96, yeah. 97, 98, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so Chris, um, you've been uh, quiet. Joey and I have been dominating the conversation. I apologize, but uh, I know Chris, you spent your weekend at Indianapolis with us. So, uh, what what are some of your observations, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, on Will on the car? Um, uh, anything else that you want to chat about um, from the five hundred? Well, one thing that I think we should make absolutely clear: Ed Carpenter Racing finally figured it out how to get a car to stay near the front of the race. The entire time, uh, uh, Carpenter led the most laps that day. Um, was in the hunt the entire time, and unfortunately, one bad pit stop um, kept them out of the first place. Um, it's not that they had bad pit stops; it's just that Penske were just frankly better. Um, and of course, Penske is all about that perfection and preparation, and all that kind of other kind of good stuff. Um, you also have to look at the fact that. Um, Several experienced drivers were not comfortable 100%. I mean, you saw how Elio lost it. You saw Bourdais lose it. You saw um, uh, Ed Jones lose it, who was not necessarily a veteran. You got Kanan that lost it. It was it was not an easy car to get a hold of, a, hundred, a handle on 100%, which, you know, I, I found it so funny when people were saying, oh, Sage Karam lost it because it was Sage Karam. No, you saw a bunch of talented people that have been in the sport for a long time lose it. The oh, car so, just so you're saying handle. Sage Karam's not talented? I know he is talented. <laughs> no, just the way you said it, it struck me as funny. You said Sage Karam wrecked, but, but we also saw talent people wreck. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Leave the leave the really bad jokes to me. Anyway, um, we had also. <clears throat> a lot of unpredictability was fuel strategy late in the going. All we needed was one more yellow flag, and we could have seen Stefan Wilson or Oriol Servia win the 500. And think about how awesome that would have been to see Stefan Wilson win in a car that he got after he gave up his ride last year with Andretti for Fernando Alonso. 
Um, that would have been a great sight to see. And of course, thing of the other irony as well, when you got one organ donation car winning the race with him and the other organ donation car in Pippa Man not even made. That's all I had for the race so far. Okay, Chris, cool. All right, so now you mentioned Ed Carpenter keeping the car in one piece throughout the whole race, yeah, which was good. But he was so gutted. He was so gutted in the uh, the press conference afterwards. I just I kind of felt bad for the guy because everybody was picking him going into the race. Uh, yeah, not everybody, but but by and large, you know, especially the local set, the local radio people, all the local folks who really wanted to see him do well. And uh, even though second place is a nice payout for the team and a great day uh, for him, he just he just couldn't find any happiness in that, huh, Joey? I mean, how could you, honestly? I mean, we've all been in a situation where we've had the competitive juices flowing and whatnot, and uh, you look at this, Ed hasn't exactly had the best luck over the last couple of years. He's got two top ten finishes prior to the 500. Both were at Phoenix. Both were seventh-place finishes. Other than that, he could have poles. He could have laps led. He could be in the thick of something towards the front, and he ends up wrecked out or has a retirement, there was always something that just plagued that team. And, you know, when you see ECR as a whole, you're, you're looking at the last couple of years. You lose Joseph Newgarden, he goes on to win a title. You know, you can't quite get everything figured out to keep Justin Taylor on board, who is a phenomenal engineer uh, from the Audi program that's gone back to IMSA. And, you know, Spencer Pickett's a great driver, but he's still trying to figure everything out. And that's a learning process that costs a lot of money. So all these pieces getting thrown into this puzzle. And the big solution that happened with Ed was that Alan McDonald came on board. And we've seen them kind of get back into form. And they all qualified in the Fast 9, right? So ECR was great. I think the kicker here is, is that they finally got a situation like what Chris was talking about. They finally caught up with the racetrack they were able to stay with it for the entire duration of a race and that has been the biggest plague on ecr when they go to the indy 500 is they can qualify well and for somebody like me i'm a wait and see kind of guy and i i wanted to believe it i wanted to see it before i believed it right and so ed keep kept up with the racetrack you finish second it's demoralizing because he is the hometown kid you know i i went to that riley's children's hospital event after he did really well um, in practice that day. He ended up lining. It was right before he ended up winning the pole that weekend. He goes into. He's the first guy in Riley Children's Hospital, and you just see the reception, not just from the kids, but the people around the community have wrapped their arms around this guy, and it just. You can tell when he races in Indy in particular that it's not just about him. He's racing for that city, for that community, and so. When you finish second in a race like that, I mean, I'd be, I'd be curious more, and I'd be happy with the fact that I got my first podium in like three years. Yeah, point, point taken, point taken. So uh, Scott Dixon quietly finished in third. Um, Alexander Rossi, like we said, uh, went from thirty second to fourth. Fifth place, Ryan Hunter Ray, um, and then um, down in ninth, Robert Wickens uh, takes the Rookie of the Year honors. Um, and a pretty tough rookie class, uh, if you look at some of the other guys in here. I mean, Matthias Leist uh, was 
really good all uh, all all weekend there. Um, uh, claiming to, Mel- to claim right? mellow, huh? Do I th- you think to get it right with Wiccans? Yeah. Ah, you know, they they went with the highest finishing rookie. I think uh, Leist was better through practice and qualifying. Um, you know, some I, you know. Both. Uh, to be fair to Wickens, he was the only rookie that improved his finishing position from where he started. I mean, that's yeah, nice. that's, can, yeah. That's can I point. be based on last year's criteria though? You know, Fernando Alonso led laps and then blows an engine and and finishes like twenty seventh or whatever, and Ed Jones sneaks in and grabs himself a top three finish. So the criteria was set, and I'm not the yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of this kid by any stretch of the imagination, but. You know, Clement DeMillo goes up there and leads some laps in a Dale Coin car, albeit an influx of pitch strategy, but even on old tires, he was hanging around the top 10. And, you know, gets himself, where, where did he finish? Top 15, I believe? Uh, 19th, uh, one lap down. 19th, okay. 19th, one lap so, down, led seven laps on the day. Led seven laps on the day. But the precedence was kind of set, wasn't it? Like, if you get up and lead laps, even if you have a bad finish, you end up with the rookie of the year. Based on last year's situation, right? No, no, no. no, no. The, pre- the, the precedence is if you're a very, really famous guy who brings exposure to the series, like Kurt Busch or Fernando Alonso or Jackie Stewart back in the '60s, <laughs> you're going to win right. Rookie of the Year. No, I mean, I think that there's a. I I did a whole. I wrote a whole piece on the criteria for Rookie of the Year, and, and there's four different elements they look at. And the one is the the finishing position. Uh, the second is the overall skill level of the driver. The third is their behavior um, on, on and off the track, and then I think that they're the professionalism. And then the other one, um, it's it's can't, now I can't think of the fourth one now, but it's not laps led. So, but yeah, uh, yeah that's how they behave. Well, with them. And then there's uh, the amount of money they donate to the NASCAR official Christmas party. There you go. There you go. But why, why NASCAR officials are at the IndyCar Sorry, party? Indica, I don't know. You know what I mean. No, I don't know what you mean. You're from Great Britain. No, but it's, it's the <laughs> driver skill, finishing, finishing order, uh, behavior, and then sportsmanship. Sportsmanship. That's the other thing. So, uh, and the the judges are not asked to like. They're not given a scorecard. They're just asked to say, pick two names: first choice, second choice. So, uh, I, I think I, just, I, I think that. So when you say the criteria was Alonzo leading laps and DeMello should win, I'd say no. I, look, I look at Mateus Lace, the guy that you brought up, and to me he was the most impressive rookie out of everybody. All because month long. of his on-track. All yeah, month all long, month yeah. long mm-hmm. Best qualifying out of all the rookies. Made some really solid passes and really smart decisions. And, you know, I, for my money, I thought it should have been Mateus. I know he didn't lead a lap compared to the other other guys in there, but uh, 13th place, A.J. Foyt racing car, highest qualifying rookie, and just maintained his position all day and quietly had a solid top 15 finish. I just, I don't right. know how you just, and, I and, know Wickens is bell the ball because he did so many things before Indy, but. It's not supposed man. to count, yeah, not supposed to count, but but evidently if you look at your Kurt Bushes and your Alonzo, what you've done before counts too. So you know, it's again, it's it's a bit of a popularity contest. People were really furious that Ed Jones wasn't given it last year, um, and Ed Jones being a true rookie uh, compared to Alonzo, and you could say the same thing with Mateus. 
is a true rookie as opposed to uh, Wickens, who's been running top-level DTC for a number of years. Uh, even though it's a different discipline, it's uh, he's far more experienced than a uh, you know you know Mateus or uh, or Zachary Clement DeMello. So. Anyway, is what fairness, it, and, uh, if I may, in fairness to Kurt Busch, it, he had never raced an open wheel car um, before, and unless you count maybe like I don't know if he didn't modify its way out west. So I think that's probably why he got it instead of Sage Karam. Well, um, I, also, I, okay, I'll I'll say this, yeah. So maybe Kurt Busch has never run an Indy car, other than he did a little test with Ray Hall a few years and open test with with Andretti. But if you look at the length of NASCAR's schedule and the length of Kurt Busch's career, Kurt Busch literally has turned more racing miles on oval-shaped tracks, thousands of more miles <laughs> than the rest of the field combined. So I, I, to, to label rookie on him is, number one, we're bitching about stuff from four years ago, but number two, it's ridiculous. So, But let's, um, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, before we transition over to our NASCAR segment, uh, uh, now, 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 Joey, go right ahead. Sorry, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on these guys because this is this was, I mean, it's the biggest race in the world. So, um, I know Steph Wilson got brought up. He was yarding the field late, and I don't know if any of us would have been upset if he would have walked away with this win for sure. Um, so, when I'm reason I bring guys like him up right now. Stephen Wilson needs a full-time ride in this sport, period. Uh, great personality, great person. And when you look at what he was able to do whenever he's got such limited seat time, and it wasn't even something that he could do further. He just didn't have the gas in the car. Um, it was For me, I'm running that thing out, but he's trying to be the respectful one. It's only his third career IndyCar start, and he's yarding the field. Uh, in the closing stages in Indianapolis before he gets told to come in. Uh, Jack Harvey, on a part-time kind of commitment in a Meyer-Schmidt or a Meyer-Shank racing car with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. Uh, his only second start at Indy, but last year was kind of an abomination and one to forget in his words. And you look at this situation of how he performed, especially with how crazy that restart was at the very end with, with Harvey and Wilson taking at three wide essentially on Oriole Servia these guys are guys that we need to kind of get behind a little bit and give them an attaboy but the guy that helped himself the most was par- probably Carlos Munoz um, kind of the bell of the ball all the, kind of go back to that statement uh, finishing runner up at Indy a few times now loses his ride uh, after being at AJ Foyce racing for one season falls out of flavor with some people He's got a win on a road course, so it's not like he's just an oval master here. And he goes and finishes seventh in his only race this year. Talk to him after the race. And there's some opportunities, hopefully late in the year, that he's going to get a chance to get in a car and see what he can do uh, further. Uh, he kind of did all this returning at home to Andretti, but um, Carlos Munoz, I know he can be frustrating to watch on track at times, but the talent level isn't in question by any stretch of the imagination. So, those are some of the notables. I would say that it's, you know, if there's if there's an opportunity there, get them in the season full time. I think it'd, it'd be a lot more fun than it already is. Yeah, and, and to not- piggyback on that, if I may, um, I also want to bring up Connor Daly as well because he finished 21st in a car that uh, didn't get any practice time on Tuesday, the first day of practice, except for like 15, 20 minutes, 
qualified last, um, and really they didn't know how far he was even going to be able to go in the race. And yet to finish 21st, even running in ninth place for a few laps there was a good effort on his part. So full credit to him and the team because they had to get that car turned around quickly after the Grand Prix. So good job to him as well. Uh, yeah, everyone that finished behind Connor Daly didn't finish the race, but okay. <laughs> Not true. Jay Howard finished behind him. He was actually the first car, to, uh, no, third car one lap down. Yeah, Chilton, Chilton Beach, Howard, then everyone... Everyone behind him was wrecked. So, but yeah, Con- Daly is very popular amongst the fans. He he really is. I think he's not quite as popular um, with some of the folks in charge of uh, charge of hiring drivers. Uh, I, I think he burned some bridges with uh, AJ Foyt. But uh, you know, hopefully somebody will give him another chance. He, he's he's popular. He's he needs some seasoning and he and he needs the seat time for sure. So now, um, Chris, before we Move on to before we move on to uh, talking about NASCAR and uh, another tidbit of news in between that uh, you did go to, to Lucas um, Lucas Oil Lucas Oil Raceway for the Maserati Indy. So just very briefly, let's go over um, the events of that on Friday night. So USF 2000 raced uh, the first race on Friday night. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood from Jupiter, Florida, won the USF 2000 race, his first ever oval start. So good for him. After that, Pro Mazda raced, and uh, Parker Thompson won, setting, having a bit of redemption for him, uh, given that he lost the last race he ran there because of lap traffic. Uh, after that, Cody Swanson won the Carb Night Classic for USAC, and that was the second of three wins that he got in three days, winning the Hoosier 100 on Thursday, the Carb Night Classic on Friday, and then Saturday, he won the Payless Little 500 at Anderson Speedway. Uh, so truly a fantastic job for him. And also, his Hoosier 100 win was his fourth in a row at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. So good job, Cody Swanson. Uh, did an amazing job. Yeah, great job to Cody. Yeah. And, and again, if you're if you're in there in, in, in the Indianapolis area, um, you know, after Carb Day, you know, heading over to Lucas Oil is a fun night. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind if you're in the area. So before we transition over to NASCAR, a couple of little tidbits of news. Uh, number one, um, Dr. Henry Bach, who's been the um, chief medical uh, the medical chief at the Indianapolis Boat Motor Speedway for a number of years. Uh, he was very instrumental uh, in the design of the safety barrier. Uh, passed away earlier today uh, at the age of 81, so our thoughts are with um, our thoughts are with him and his family. And and the other bit of uh, news that has me uh, quite concerned uh, is that John Andretti, who's a friend of our show, um, he, he thought he was in the clear with the cancer, went to his six months checkup, found out that not only had the cancer returned, but it's also spread. So, uh, uh, you know, we're thinking about uh, John and all of his family. Um, and again, you know, he's a friend of the show. We, we had his son Jared on a couple weeks ago. So, uh, John, we're all pulling for you. So, um, you know, and I know you're listening. So, anyway, um, Coca-Cola 600, Seth Gray, uh, Kyle Busch, pretty pretty dominant run, taking all three stages, taking the win. I think the only lead changes came in the pit lane, but there's more to the story than that. So, uh, which of you gentlemen wants to jump in and start taking us through the uh, Coca-Cola 600? Yeah, it was it was a pretty dominant performance by Kyle. It, it was pretty reminiscent of of what Martin Truex did a couple of years ago in, in winning the six hundred. Uh, 
But, you know, aside from Kyle's dominance at the front, uh, back in the pack, the racing was pretty good from second on back, and it was pretty, a lot of the racing was pretty spirited, and there was a lot of, a lot of moves made by a lot of teams. Just Kyle kind of stunk up the show, uh, being so dominant up front. Um, again, uh, great, uh, Great effort by those guys. Uh, the only uh, track that uh, Kyle had never scored a, a NASCAR points victory on was Charlotte. Uh, uh, and by, by doing so, he, he became the first man to do that. And that, uh, that in itself is a, is a pretty impressive uh, feat there for someone as young as, as Kyle. That, that was his 47th cup race, and that, that goes with uh, uh, 50 truck wins and uh, – 91 Xfinity wins that he's run up in his uh, in his short career so far. So you know Kyle's definitely uh, you know he, he's he's probably for my money pound for pound probably one of the one of if if not the best driver currently on the circuit. So yeah, yeah. he proved uh, he proved he can get it done anywhere. And I mean that 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 speaks volumes. Uh, he's won on the road courses. He's won on speedways, the short tracks. The intermediate, so he can. Uh, I mean, he's he's proven that he has the ability uh, to to do it anywhere we go. So uh, hats off to Kyle and Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, bad night for uh, for uh, for Kyle. Uh, for, excuse me. Bad night for Kevin Harvick. Currently, you know, the the hottest driver on the on the circuit. Uh, uh, he had to start in the back uh, because uh, he uh, his car failed inspection. Uh, pre-qualifying so he uh he kind of brought up the rear but it only took him about uh, uh right around 50 laps before he was in, uh, solidly in the top five and was probably gonna be the only car that maybe could have challenged uh kyle uh for the win uh but his night uh came to a premature end and he finished uh dead last in the field so uh that uh yeah go ahead go ahead seth it, that's also his first last place finish across all three national series. One thousand eighty-eight starts before then. That's why that's, that's pretty impressive too. But but a bad night for the four. Uh, but uh, again, you know, with what with the with the season they've started off with, I mean, you know, f- uh, five wins and thirteen starts is is pretty is pretty solid. And I think Kyle rung up his his fourth win. In and 13 starts so yeah it's probably you know early on that the, those two guys are the odds on favorite to battle down the stretch for the for the championship uh, saw some saw some <clears throat> good runs from some of the other guys martin truex uh ran well at times uh surprisingly the the chevrolets showed a little bit of strength uh this weekend kyle larson and and jimmy johnson probably had his best run uh of the season in in the number 48 he ran uh Ran pretty well throughout most of the race, but like like we said, nobody really had anything for the eighteen. He was a he was a pretty much a class by himself. Now Truex did look like he was going to have enough speed to catch Kyle at one point in the race, but he had a pit road speeding penalty. And after that, by the time he got back up to second place, Kyle was already about five to eight seconds ahead and Martin was only able to get that to shrink down to about 3.8 seconds. So he did have the speed to get to him. He just didn't have enough time. Yeah. And I tell you, Kyle probably too. And, and, and Kyle was not pressing the issue. And if you noticed toward the end there, when, when 
Martin was cutting into that a little bit. It, it happened when they were when when Kyle was getting in the <laughs> middle of traffic, and once Kyle cleared that traffic, it stabilized and he moved out of about a second again. So I, I really think Kyle was driving a smart race. He wasn't going to push it to the end. He had a good working margin, and he was he was satisfied with with pretty much keeping that. Now, just going back to Kyle for a moment, where he has now won on every single cup track that there is uh, currently active. Uh, he's the only driver to ever do that so far. Jeff Gordon was one track away when he retired, Kentucky. Kevin Harvick is currently two tracks away from doing that same feat, Pocono and Kentucky. Yeah, I tell you, probably, uh, you know, if we, when we talk about favorites for this weekend, uh, Harvick ran really well at Pocono last year, and he could uh, he could narrow that uh, narrow that down to one track. What is the other track and, that? Uh, and Kentucky's it, still coming up. So yes. So yeah, and Harvick, yeah. he's been on a tear this year. He could equal that. That would be neat to see two guys equal that same feat in the same season. But uh, again, we're putting the cart before the horse. Harvick's got to win those two races first. Yeah. Exactly. But but it was a tough, you know, tough. Uh, it, it's 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 an astounding feat when you think about it. What is it? Twenty three tracks. Uh, Twenty three currently active tracks. Yeah. Uh, Twenty three tracks. Yeah. Kyle never ran at Rockingham, although it was active when he made his debut in 2004. He didn't run there in 2004. Uh, he ran a handful of races towards the latter half of the season. Rockingham only had one race that season, and that was immediately after Daytona. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, there's only three tracks that he has competed on across NASCAR's three national series that he hasn't won at. One being South Boston, he did not win in the trucks. Chicago Motor Speedway, which no longer exists. And uh, Montreal in the Xfinity Series. Otherwise, he has won at every single track he has competed on across the three national series. Yeah, and he's fast approaching a combined 200 wins in uh, in the three, three major series, too. And he is one truck series win away from uh, tying Ron Hornaday's record in the truck series for most wins, which that almost came two weeks ago. But that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. And also, we had an, we had an Xfinity race also that was run on Saturday afternoon at Charlotte. Brad Keselowski in the in the Penske number twenty two took the win uh, in that show. And that one seemed like it was going to be a Kyle Busch show. Uh, on a late restart, and a number of cars stayed out. Kyle, as he had earlier in the race, tried to make it three wide in the dogleg, clipped the grass, lost control, and ended up spinning before getting uh, almost T-boned by Chase Briscoe. The damage was relatively minor to both cars. Both ended up finishing. Kyle went two laps down, was able to make that up, and finish eight. Yeah, and, and that was that was quite a performance too, and and, and Kyle was not not pleased by it. But Kyle did go on to credit uh, some of uh, what he, you know what he learned in that uh, in that uh, Xfinity race kind of helped him with his with his Cup car. Now, something I do want to mention in the Xfinity race as well: Kaz Grala, a brand new team, Fury Race Cars, co-owned by his father and co-owned by Tony Uri Jr. 
Uh, he lost his ride about a week and a half before the Charlotte race weekend. They cobbled this car together. It was given to them by JGL Racing. And he was eighth fastest in practice with no laps in this car. It's a completely rebuilt car. And no other points had to qualify on time, ran top 10 most of the race, and finished 10th for a brand new team with no sponsorship. Yeah, that was quite a performance. And of note, he, they did not have a backup car with them either. So if anything had happened in in qualifying or pre-race practice, uh, they would have uh, been out of the show. So, yeah, great performance by, by that team. And if it had rained, he also would have been out because until uh, Charlotte, they had no qualifying attempts and other teams did have attempts. Yeah, and you know, so, we, and, and and talking about the rain, Charlotte was really lucky uh, the last two weekends to get out because we've been we've had a lot of rainy weather the last two weekends, and both and both weekends have been threatened with uh, with rain, and uh, for them for Charlotte to get uh, get the shows off uh, both shows off this week was pretty lucky and pretty good for them considering the the bad luck they had with uh, with weather last year. And just one more quick note on Charlotte. They, it also had the return of the ARCA racing series. Todd Gillen dominated the race until he clipped a lap car. Uh, ended up being a battle between Sheldon Creed and Brandon Jones. Jones ended up taking the victory. And I do just want to make a quick mention. Uh, Natalie Decker immediately after the race uh, went and had surgery on a hernia that she suffered a couple weeks ago and that she has been racing with uh, for the past three weeks. And she is uh, approved and will run Pocono this weekend. Okay. Yep. And uh, so that'll be a, it'll be a triple header this weekend at Pocono with the cup cars, the ARCA cars and uh, the, the Xfinity. Xfinity. And, and of note, the Xfinity uh, cars will run the aero package that they ran at, uh, Indianapolis last year. They'll run that at Pocono, and it's very similar to the aero package that the Cup cars ran in the All-Star race, so uh, that'll be a pretty interesting show as well. And they are also going to run it at Michigan, which I believe is the immediately the immediate week after that as well, so two weeks in a row. Yeah, and, that, and, and just by, you, you, you'll get some kind of gauge of what they're looking at to possibly do with the uh, with the Cup cars, So and, and they're still there's still talk around the around the garage and the rumor mills out there that that NASCAR may uh, get with the owners and see if they can work something out to where uh, the Cup cars will experiment again with this type of package in 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 a race later in the year. My hope is they would try it somewhere like Michigan, uh, the second Michigan race in August, just to get some some idea of of you know. Uh, of how it's going to work in a, in a in a lengthy race. Yeah, a couple of drivers, uh, Denny Hamlin, I would say, have no. He believes that this package would be perfect on tracks with longer straightaways, Pocono, Michigan, and Indy. He doesn't necessarily like it or think it would need or thinks it would need a lot of tweaks for it to work on a traditional speedway like Charlotte, like Texas, etc. Well, you know, obviously you're gonna you're gonna talk to 15 different people, and you're gonna get 15 different uh, different things on uh, opinions on on that. Uh, overall, I thought the show was pretty doggone good and created some really 
really good racing at at uh, at Charlotte, but we just have to kind of see. But you know, we 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 talked earlier in the show about the racing in Indianapolis uh, this time, and, we, and and Joey alluded to being a little bit spoiled, and I was uh, last probably last seven or eight years. The racing has been you know very very exciting with a lot of lead changes. I'm talking in probably in excess of fifty some lead changes and, and a lot of passing uh, up front for the lead. And we didn't, we didn't quite have that this year, but you know, I, I, it just goes to the, to the fact that the sanctioning bodies and just what a, what a fine line and what a tightrope they walk when they make these rule changes. And they, and they do this trying to, to create better racing. That's always <clears throat> the idea. And, it, and it's tough. And, and I know, uh, you know, some people were a little little disappointed in Indy this year compared to what it's been. I still thought it was a you know compelling race, pretty good race. But uh, there again, you, you you've got to hand it to these sanctioning bodies for trying these things and 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 trying to do it. And with a little tweaking, you know, we can we can have a better product. We, you can't. Uh, who's to say what would happen? Uh, you know, if they'd left the rules alone, it, it may you know we may have kind of raced our way out of. Uh, out of, out of what we currently saw at Indy. So we'll just have to see what, what they come up with as, as it goes forward. And, you know, what, what happens, what works at some tracks doesn't work at all the tracks. So, you know, again, hats off to the sanctioning bodies for at least giving it, giving it a whirl and trying to, uh, to improve the racing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these new packages work, both in NASCAR and in IndyCar, as they, as they tweak it along. So, uh, so we're headed to Pocono next week. We've got uh, uh, Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch with a huge margin atop the point standings. Um, Harvick with five wins down the year, Kyle with four. Um, you know, we've had a couple other guys have managed to make it to victory lane, but nobody more than once. So, who do we like for uh, Pocono? I'm going to start with you, Seth. I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney. Okay. Gray? Uh, I'm going to go with Harvick. All right. And then Chris? Uh, give me Brad Keselowski. Okay. Joey? Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin. And Richard? Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson. Okay. So you guys took all the good picks. So I'm going to go with Martin Truex Jr. Um, and then oh, we'll that's go- a terrible pick. That's a horrible pick. I know the guy never picks nothing. So before we move on to Formula One, we, we neglected to do picks for um, IndyCar for Detroit. Everybody gets two picks. There's two races. Um, so you need to pick a winner for race one and race two or decide if somebody's going to sweep. I'm going to start with you, Chris. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Will Power is going to win one of the races and Sebastian Bordier is going to win the other. Okay, both. That's, both. That's a pretty good pick. I was going to yep, say. Yeah, yeah. great, great. You could just reverse them, say Sebastian Bourdais win the other one. <laughs> All <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it like this. I, I agree. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, both those guys have uh, won there in the past. So, uh, uh, Seth, who you like for Detroit? I'm going to say New Garden will sweep. Okay. All right. Joey, how about you, brother? Um. I'll go Rossi for one of the races, and then, no, I kind of snubbed him a little bit earlier, but I'll pick Wickens to win the other and get his first oh. IndyCar win. Okay, yeah, all right. Now, Richard? 
They were exactly the same picks as I was going to go for. Okay, so, so you, you just reverse them. You say Wiggins wins first and Rossi wins first. And me, as far as I'm concerned, I I, I mean, when you look at uh, the last tight street course that we're at, uh, Rossi was pretty darn dominant. But uh, two of you guys already picked him. So I, I'll say that Ryan Hunter Ray takes one of these um, because he steals Rossi's setup. And, uh, and, and then it rains on day two when somebody – uh, really out there wins that you wouldn't expect on fuel strategy like a Jordan King. So Yeah, good call. Yep. Very good. So uh, with that being said, Richard, let's talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, uh, Red Bull and Daniel Ricciardo have broke the uh, couple race streak by McLaren. Um, Monaco, again, never easy to uh, pass. Always a... Yeah, I know. I always want to put Hamilton in the McLaren. I don't know why. Maybe just to see what he just see what he just just see what he do in a crappy car. I don't know. So anyway, but I digress. So so anyway, so we've snapped the Mercedes win streak. So um, Richard, let's let's talk about Monaco a little bit. I mean, it was it, it was pretty much Red Bull's race to lose, and you know between both the drivers and the cars, you know, they they had a pretty damn good go at trying to lose them, didn't they? Uh, Max Verstappen again sort of highlighted why he's not quite there. Um, you know, making that mistake on Saturday morning in free practice, uh, uh, which led to him missing qualifying and starting from the back of the grid. You know, you you you're, you're nowhere then around Monaco. You, you may make a top ten. Uh, you know, if you drive well and get a little bit of luck with some strategy and safety car and the like. But he really shot himself in the foot with that mistake, and it was a. You know, it's not the first time he's made that mistake. I think in 2016 he made an identical mistake, clipping the uh, inside barrier of the second uh, chicane at the uh, swimming pool. So he has a bit of a history there, and and these are the mistakes that he's got to stop making if he's going to win championships and if he's going to be a team leader. I know there's a lot of talk at Red Bull of of uh, Ricciardo's position within the team, whether he will be there next year, but. They cannot rely on somebody like Verstappen to lead that team and, and, and take them you know, where they want to be. Uh, in the race, you know, throughout qualifying, you saw Ricciardo dominate qualifying. And if Verstappen had been in, in qualifying, I'm sure he would have, uh, there would have been a Red Bull lockout on the front row there. But uh, you saw the Mercedes and the Ferraris sort of battling for those best of the rest, really. And then into the race... Yeah, Ricciardo made a good start. A very, very clean and tidy on the first couple of laps there, um, and Ricciardo just dominated, you know, controlled the race in the early stages. And Vettel uh, um, and, and Hamilton were sort of trying to chase, but never really in a position to, to, to close too much there. And then after the first round of pit stops, uh, it, it became apparent, and it was you know, Ricciardo was radioing into his team that he had an issue. And, by sounds of things, he basically lost his battery pack um, and the, the sort of 150 horsepower boost that that system uh, provides to the car. And everybody expected him to be eaten up by Vettel and Hamilton and all these guys and, you know, fall back through the field. But in a way, and I thought this was fascinating, a lot of people have, questioned, have you know, called the Monaco race boring, but I, I thought it was, it was fascinating the way they managed this problem. And in a way, I think it actually helped them, because you saw all the other cars, the Mercedes and the Ferraris, when they were on their, uh, this, whichever 
compound of tyre, they call it now. I mean, it's getting crazy. And the super soft, ultra soft, and hyper softer. I think it was the super soft for the, uh, the sort of second stint of the race that they're yeah, the running one, on. They call that the, the bubble yum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, they, um, you know, they were suffering really, really bad graining, and they couldn't push. And, and I, I, my hunch and my suspicions are that because Ricciardo was managing the car in such a way, uh, he didn't suffer from this training because he wasn't able to push the car as hard and he wasn't able to generate the tyre heat that, you know, he was having because, so to try and give it a bit of a technical side here, when you lose the um, energy regeneration system, you lose braking efficiency at the rear of the car. So what happens is your rear brakes overheat massively, which is one of the things that Ricciardo was complaining about. So you have to push your brake bias to the front of the car, which is far from optimal because you, your rear is doing less braking. So you, every time you put his foot on the brakes, the back end will have wanted to step out on him. So he's had to lift and coast into the braking zones and be a lot more gentle on the braking of the car to, to stop his rear brakes from, from failing so he probably was putting a lot less stress and a lot fewer heat cycles through the um, through his tires than the other guys were. So there's a potential that actually this issue could have won in the race. Um, now, one of the other things we saw is that because his pace was so slow, that almost backed the field up. So by the time we sort of 15 to 20 laps to go, by the time the you know, the guys that Hamilton and Vettel were in a position where potentially they could have gone onto the hypersoft tyre and had a, you know, a run at uh, Ricciardo on fresh tyres. The midfield pack had closed up because of the slow place, so they couldn't drop back into that, uh, they couldn't pit and then drop back into the midfield battle. So I think in many, many ways, these, these issues that you saw with Ricciardo um, were, could have helped him win the race. Um, a couple of other things came out of Monaco, uh, Williams were pretty bad. Uh, Shrokin actually had a good qualifying performance. I think he qualified like 13th or something. Um, but then pre-race, they didn't get the tyres on the car in time, so they had to do a, a drive-through penalty, and then he had to have you know, his normal pit stop, and then um, Stroll was collecting his loyalty points with the number of pit stops he was having. Um, and as um, obviously not as a direct result of that, I'm sure, but Williams have uh, terminated their uh, head of aero today. So they're having a bit of a, a, a restructure of their technical department back in the UK. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, Canada's typically a track where Williams are quite good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes of that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we've got a week off and then we're on to... Um... Uh, we're on to, on to Canada, which is one of my favorite race courses uh, from one right. runs on. Yeah, it's one of the, the, the older ones that's, that's still not so quite so sanitized, uh, put it. But uh, we've got just a couple of a minute. Yes, yes, yes. We've just got a few minutes left. But, you know, you talked about folks that said the race was boring. And one of the people who really said the race was boring and they said they should give all their fans their money back was Fernando Alonso and Alonso's been uh, making some waves about F1 and his and his bit of his displeasure at the same time there's mounting rumors that um that McLaren's going full on with an IndyCar 
uh, effort, uh, maybe in 19, maybe in 20. So uh, just we've got about four minutes left in the show. So uh, Joey and Richard, let's let's talk about what we're hearing out of, uh, uh, you know, McLaren, IndyCar, Alonzo. Uh, will they line up with Honda? In Indi- with Honda? Uh, so um, what are your thoughts? I think it's inevitable. Uh, the The people that I've talked to in, in, in the IndyCar paddock have said that there's some connections there with the Honda team. Andretti's name's been mentioned. Ray Hall's name's been mentioned. And it's just kind of, I guess at this point, it's exploring which one's the best options. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting because from, from the other things, Zach Brown and them are supposed to be in Detroit. And I'm interested to see if this is something that happens very quickly. And this is like, hey, we want to start 2019. Because with these engine regulations that are going to be changing in IndyCar in a couple of years, this kind of gives McLaren an opportunity to kind of partner with somebody for a couple of years, kind of play this thing out with the aero kit and learn the series, learn the tracks, kind of build up a little bit of a notebook from an engineering perspective before you're going to go full on maybe uh, 2021 as your own independent team. So I don't think that they're going to, if they partner with somebody, I don't think it's going to be permanent. I think it's very much kind of like a Michael Shank thing, where the plane is at some point to stand on your own two feet. So, the so do you, the, the intrigue do you, here. Do, with the, do you feel like that maybe with the new engine regs on the on the horizon, that may make McLaren may be instrumental in bringing another engine partner into the series? Absolutely. Um, that's that's funny. At the F one race last year, that we already knew uh, at Coda. We already knew that Honda was on their way out the door, and we already knew that Renault was on their way in. And when you look at American products in a weird way and also an, an OEM that has some history in IndyCar, you've got to look at a, a manufacturer like Affinity with the Renault ties, with the IndyCar ties. Maybe there's a situation playing out around that time frame because Jay Fry pointed out that this OEM regulation change suits some of the people he didn't name who but he said it suits some of the manufacturers interest with the increased horsepower with with opening things and that sort so the intrigue to me is is if fernando alonso is their pick if mclaren goes racing to come over to the states because clearly the mclaren power plant or the, the renault power plant with mclaren isn't quite adapting the same way that maybe they were hoping a red bull situation would be so now you look at the situation and it's like, well, you know, maybe this is the ceiling for Alonzo and then maybe it's time to come and go IndyCar racing. And that'll be exciting to see if that I think I think Alonso will have another year. I think Alonso will do 19 in Formula 1 before he goes. Yeah, very possible. Very right, possible. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how all that plays out. But until then, we are out of time. I want to thank you, Joey Gray, Richard, Seth, Chris. Did I miss anybody? <laughs> Me. So uh, and I want to thank iHeartRadio. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank all of our listeners. Um, and uh, until next week, guys, uh, enjoy the races. We'll talk to you in a week. Good night. Hey, what are you doing after this? After the race? Yeah. I don't know, but it feels like I'm wasting a lot of time. No, I know, I know. I'm just excited, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Hey, I love you. What? Nothing. Take it back! Get down! You're my best friend! You're my best friend! I'm in there with you! I gotta get going! Go! Go!
he didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.